Welcome to the Sound and Marketing Podcast. I'm your host, Gina Isham, owner and founder of Dreamer Productions and Sound and Marketing Learning. I create, consult, and educate brands and individuals on the power of sound in marketing. To learn more about sound and marketing, check out some great resources, take some courses, and join a cool community, go to soundinmarketing.com. If you're a brand that needs help navigating the sound space through research and or a consultancy, or you're looking to create sonic branding, go to dreamerproductions.com. That's D-R-E-A-M-R productions.com. And let's chat. Now onto the show. For this season, I wanted to focus on definitions because if you don't fully understand the industry, it's harder to navigate it and harder to ultimately succeed. And that's why every episode will start with what is. Ideally, you can scroll through the episode titles and decide what specific voice topic you want to focus on for the next 15 or 20 minutes. Today, we will be defining interactive voice response, or IVR, and sensory marketing with a very special guest, Simon Fowerfield. Simon is the founder and CEO of Equal Strategy. Equal Strategy advises global brands across multiple industries how to achieve consistency in brand atmospherics, specifically telephone and customer environment touchpoints, integrating music and scent, enabling companies to achieve powerful competitive advantage in the context of their long-term business strategy. Welcome to the show, Simon. Thank you. Those of you that don't know who Simon is, he has a very unique job uh, and a very interesting company that's doing some very important things uh, through senses. So why don't you go ahead and explain what you're up to, Simon? Well, I think we're, we're operating in a space that goes back to the basics of human nature and human science. And we're, we're helping brands create an experience where their customers ultimately fall in love with their brand. And we do this by helping them use sound and scent and how these two are integrated to create an experience where sound and scent have the, the possibility to play a play a role or have a role within the customer journey. For for some people that don't quite understand, let's just go with sonic branding and sound marketing. Um, for those of you that are listening that still haven't quite grasped it, uh, one of the original uses, I think, of sound in marketing would be IVR. Can you kind of explain what IVR is and how it changed things and started making people think bigger than just that? So IVR stands for Interactive Voice Response System. The idea of using an IVR is to provide an automated call routing system. Contact centers found that if they could route calls to, with for specific requirements to agents that have the skill set to handle those types of queries, they can, they can provide business efficiency through automation of the call routing. So in essence, what an IVR does is it provides callers with a greeting and a range of selection of options where the caller can make their selection and that call will then be routed to the appropriate agent with that relevant skill set. Unfortunately, what we've seen take place here is that people are implementing IVR systems from a functional perspective and not really thinking about the experience that the users will have when they're using that system. That, that kind of brings us into 
sensory marketing and um, why that is such a game changer. Why should we focus on the senses in our marketing? Because functionality is important too, right? We, we need it to function. So why do we need to, why do we need to be emotional about it? My emotions are important because if you don't like using something, you won't use it. If people are using a product or a service that's easy to use and that's enjoyable, there's a higher chance that they're going to use it again, which helps create customer loyalty. And if it's really enjoyable, they're going to tell their friends about it. And that's going to create word of mouth and goodwill. And which business doesn't want that? Who doesn't want customers to enjoy using them and customers that are going to tell their friends and rave about them? But unfortunately, many businesses don't think of the experience. And also ultimately there, they find that, that they miss these massive opportunities where they can provide a, a more fulfilling engagement with their customers. Going back to the interactive voice response uh, for the IVR, I think of, and I know, I know that IVR would be probably more generally, if you need to talk to so-and-so, press one. If you need to speak to this department, press two. But I think that there's also a level of like the on-hold music that plays on there while you're being connected or while you're waiting. And I won't say what bank I bank at. But <laughs> that bank, I hate having to call because when I'm on hold, it's the same loop of maybe 8, 12 bars of a very annoying song that cuts off in the middle of a bar, it feels like. And then there's like this pause and then I go, oh, somebody's connecting. And then it just loops again. And it just, it drives me insane. And if I could get connected with that bank and talk to them, I just feel like that, that experience just right there in my head, when I'm about to pick up the phone and call them, that's the first thing I think is, oh, I have to call them. And that's not good, right? No, it's not. And what they're also going to find is that depending on what callers are subjected to when they're waiting, it will create a perception in the caller's mind that isn't real. And it will create the perception that if you're listening to something annoying and unpleasant and repetitive, your perception of time will appear to be greater than what it really is. And then you're more prone to hanging up and then you'll have to try and call back again later. And so what happens when they have multiple people hanging up and calling back, this just continually creates an unnecessary amount of additional inbound volume of calls that aren't being handled properly doesn't create the right experience and it just creates a, a negative brand experience. What brands should be doing is they should be understanding in the contact center how many calls are coming in, looking at the, the statistics coming off their system because they do have the analytical um, technology in place now in contact centers. So they know that after X amount of seconds, so many people will hang up and peak periods and how much they will actually um, stay on hold for. So all of these things have, a, have a, a big impact on the number of staff they need to have, how busy they are, and the overall churn rate. And then when you tie that back into the amount of customers who now drop off and go to another customer, go sorry, go to another bank, then they end up with a, 
sort of trying to pour water into a bucket, but the, there's a hole in the bottom of the bucket. It's really not fixing the problem. So we actually had a project we did for one of the big American banks, Citibank in, in Malaysia. And this project was probably about 22 years ago. The contact center manager who I'd worked with at another bank contacted me and said, Simon, can you, can you come in and see us? So we, we arranged a meeting, went in and had a talk about some of their challenges. And something they'd explained was that on their Monday mornings, Monday lunchtime, when it was very busy, they noticed they had a high degree of callers abandoning after about 35 seconds. And the second trend would possibly be sort of about a minute and 15 seconds later. So this was quite a big challenge for them because they said, we've got so many customers, you know, we're spending a fortune on marketing. They're, they're calling us because they want to be a customer. And then when they are a customer, we're having a lot of calls on, on Monday mornings. I actually did a review of the caller experience and Citibank at that time was positioned as this lifestyle brand that was very hip and cool and funky. So marketing, the marketing department is positioning the brand in this lifestyle manner. However, when you take that style of music and you apply it in a contact center environment where people are sitting and waiting and twiddling their thumbs, high tempo music, imagine you're in a traffic jam for, for 20 minutes, stationary, you play high tempo music within five minutes, you're going to be probably smashing your head against the windscreen because you'd be so um, aggravated by the music. And so what was happening was that because they were playing this lifestyle music, that was very cool. And it was great for a TV commercial where you only had sort of like 20, 30 seconds. But when you're subjected to that music and it's on that repetitive loop and it can end up being for, for minutes, the people are just going crazy and hanging up the call. I explained this and the psychology of this and the, the, the whole human science aspect of it. And I said, look, what I propose we do, let's put in some music that's got a, a low tempo. So it's going to have a, it's going to create and influence a relaxed state of mind. And when you're more relaxed, you have greater patience. And also your perception of time actually will change where you think you've been on hold for less than what you really have been on hold. And so when we implemented this, we found that where they had that high abandonment call rate, sort of 30, 45 seconds, that had actually shifted about another 30, 40 seconds later in time. This helps them a lot with their customer satisfaction index figures in the contact center because people were being more patient, prepared to wait longer, and we achieved that just by putting the right appropriate music in there. Some of the things that I picked up from what you said is uh, they, they focused on the functionality, which turned into inefficiency and probably led to loss of profitability, <laughs> all by the choice of music that they had playing on their own hold or in, at their call centers. Well, that's it. If you think you have a contact center, so whether it's one or 10, 15,000 calls a day, which is in a, that was in Malaysia at that time. If you apply that in a bigger market where you may have, for example, in the United States where companies there have a gigantic customer base and you start multiplying the, the figures on there, it's a lot of you know, unhappy customers that 
for a lot of customers that can become unhappy customers and very easily hang up the call, close the account, go somewhere else. What brands have found to be quite important is to develop actually multi-product customers. So banks are great because they have a range of different products. They want their customers to come on board when they finish university and open up their current account. And then when they get their first job, they then want to have a credit card account. Then they're going to want to buy their first car, so they're going to get a car loan. Then further down the road, they're going to meet someone, fall in love, want to buy a home, and get a mortgage. Whilst that's all going on, they're going to start thinking of their retirement plan, plus insurance policies. So banks are really sort of not just trying to have customers using a credit card, but they're trying to develop them into what we call multi-product customers, where everything financially is then with one bank, because then it's cheaper to service them, cheaper to acquire them, and the bank's profitability increases because of that. However, when you're having an awful telephone experience, and emotionally you get you, you disconnect from the brand, and you go, right, I've had enough, that's a lot of potential revenue that's going elsewhere. And very, very few businesses are actually looking at that bigger picture because I think the KPIs that we see taking place in businesses now are very short term. They want to increase their market share by, by the credit cards. They want everything is very much driven, we've seen now, on short term business strategy, not long term. And I think that's all part of why the whole branding element of the experiences are not being given that consideration that they really should be. Because if people can have a, a better experience and they're more connected with the brand, their emotions will overall logic and they'll stay with that brand for a longer period of time. But people are very much focused on these short-term gains and not really looking at the bigger picture because branding, it, it's a long-term game. And I think when you look at the top, top 10 most valuable brands in the world, when you think you know, McDonald's, Coca-Cola, Disney, they've been in there for decades since, since this has been tracked. And why are they in there? And the, these are some of these brands are over 100 years old. They're not built and achieved literally just overnight, but it takes time. And it's about playing the bigger picture and the long game and not just focusing on these short-term gains. So this is, this is part of the challenge that we see taking place with businesses and branding not being given that attention that it should be because people also are jumping jobs more quickly. People are going in, they want to create quick wins. They want to show that they were the right person. Short-term gains tend to be overruling long-term strategy. The short-term strategies have their places for sure. But when you're looking at something like branding, that's equity, that's investment. That's not something that you necessarily would see right, right away. Uh, however, uh, I was just reading about Aflac and um, it's an insurance company in the U.S. I don't know if it's everywhere, but Aflac and their mascot is a duck, it's just a, a silly little duck. And it just says Aflac. Right. And I consider that sonic branding. I, I consider that their logo. And they incorporated it, I believe, in 2000 and they did a measurement between 2000 and 2014 of their brand recognition. And they went from 14% up to 
brand recognition in 2000 to like 87 or 93% in 2014. And yes, that's 14 years. But, you know, in the grand scheme of things, that's pretty quick. Just, I mean, there was more things, but they came up with some really good commercial campaigns and stuff. But having that duck come in there that had nothing to do with insurance whatsoever. All he had to do was like walk on screen and say Affleck. It didn't even matter what the commercial was, but it, it just tied everything together. And, um, that was, that was a a moment of brand equity. Like they took a chance, they put a duck in there for whatever reason. I don't know the backstory for that one, but, uh, they increased their brand recognition by, I don't like 80%, 70%, something like that. That's incredible. I mean, adding a, adding a duck to the whole brand experience, it's, it humanizes what's generally perceived as a boring product and it adds some life to it it adds some humor it's something that it isn't offensive and ultimately what that does it adds a a cuteness it's memorable it's interesting now yes if you had the duck who was on repeat on on a on a loop when you're on hold yes that would have a negative effect but when that's inserted at certain key points that'll that'll put a smile on people's face and that will be memorable and this is really sort of what what brand building's all about it is creating these moments that people connect with the brand it touches touches their emotions it makes them smile and it's memorable and it's you know it's very very straight straightforward to actually achieve it just means people need to go back and sit down and start looking at the detail and think about things strategically as to what they could do i mean some of the examples of the earlier Sonic branding, for example, when the wind, when people used to turn on a Windows computer, there'd be the Windows startup tone. You could be blindfolded and you'd know what that was. In the cellular world, I, I come back from the era when Nokia used to be the main telephone handset provider. And Nokia's had this startup ringtone that everyone knew. And, you know, it's very powerful and it, you didn't hear it all day long, but it's memorable. So for brands to start thinking how they can take a piece of sound and how they can apply it across their business really makes them noticeable, but also memorable. We, we did a project we're working with Starwood. This is probably going back about 18 years ago, where Starwood was the first brand in the world to roll out a standardized sonic experience in their lobby. So every Western lobby had the same style of music and playlist globally. They were the first brand to do that with the use of scent in that space where that was also tied in and standardized. And it's all came back to a lifestyle experience that Western were, we, a strategy that the lifestyle experience was going to differentiate the brand from their competitors. And at that time, when they initiated, Weston were, their room night charge was 10% below the competition. Now, after they had implemented the project, they were 20% more expensive than the, than the competitors. The competitors then were Marriott, Hilton, and so forth. And that's just sort of shows you how going back and looking at the business and going rather than saying, okay, we, we just provide somewhere for you to come and eat and sleep. 
they turned it that they wanted to create an experience that would be memorable and that people would enjoy and it'd also be differentiated from the competitors. They implemented that global scale, even to the point where the bed in the room, they were, they were using a bed that had all these additional layers. So it became the heavenly bed that when you slept on the heavenly bed, you would have the best night's sleep that you've ever had in your life. And if you love the product so much that you could actually buy it, they really sort of kind of went into detail into creating this experience that was memorable. And the, the, the figures, you know, do the talking there. They were charging 20% more than the competitors from coming from a position where they were 10% less than the competition. Unfortunately, what we've seen taken place working with the brand over time is like globally is now that initial strategy that they had, it's been passed over to a new management team, to another management team, and to another. And unfortunately, what happens is the whole ethos and the passion and, and the vision behind it becomes diluted over time. And so now you end up with an experience that checks the boxes from a functional aspect, but does it really address and create that emotional experience that it did before? And that's where I see brands over time sometimes taking their eye off the ball and letting things slip because they have a great strategy to start off with. But really to maximize it, you need to keep it locked in and maintained all the way through. And not just for one year or two years or, or three years, but if you can do that for 10, 15, 20 years or more, then you, you build phenomenal brand equity. Value of branding a lot of finance people don't really want to put it on the balance sheet and argue about it. But I think something we've seen going through this pandemic is there are a lot of businesses, which a lot of brands, big global brands that have really compromised on the brand experience because obviously they're desperate for the business to try to keep the business afloat. But at the same time, they've cannibalized what the brand stands for. You know, we're creatures of habit. So where we've been somewhere in the past and we've had this amazing experience when you go there when you visit them again if that experience isn't on par or better than the previous experience you walk away feeling distraught disappointed i'm not going there again because look it's, it's awful i i had this memory that when I went there, it was like this and it was amazing. But now I go there and it's and it was awful. So are you going to travel there again? Are you going to tell your friends about it? No, you won't. And if you do tell your friends about it, is it going to be positive, a positive comment or negative? And so really, what is the true value or the true cost of what is taking place today? Tune in next week for the conclusion to our conversation. And don't forget to subscribe on all the major podcast channels. Share with friends, follow, and read it. Spread the word because, well, more people should know about this stuff. I know you know that now. For any other inquiries, you can find me at Dreamer Productions. That's D-R-E-A-M-R productions.com or soundinmarketing.com. LinkedIn, Twitter, and Facebook. You can also email me at Gina, J-E-A-N-N-A, at dreamerproductions.com. All links will be provided in the show notes. Let's make this world of sound more intriguing, more unique, and more and more on brand.